Put your Bibles out. I would let you sing Amelia today. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Now listen, it's never a coincidence uh, who the Lord, what the Lord does. But we've been having about half this many people for church. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody decides on one day, they say, let's go back. And we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> the Lord knows what He's doing, amen. We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians and so... Uh, it, it, verse by verse, all the way since the the last Sunday in December. So it's taken us uh, nine months to get here to this point. Um, I, I hope that that's been spiritually helpful to you. It has for me. Here's what I do know for sure this morning. I know that the, the Word of God, according to the book of Hebrews, is quick, living, and powerful. I know that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I know that it's piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And the Bible says it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Amen? And so this morning as we study this passage of Scripture, what we can know for sure is that God will use it to do the work that He wants to do. God's Word does not return unto Him void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which He sends it. Now if you remember beginning in chapter 7, Paul begins to answer the questions that they wrote to him. And they ask him some difficult things. They ask him about marriage. They ask him about divorce. They ask him about uh, 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 sexual relationship within marriage and outside of marriage. And he's conquered a lot of those things. And they ask him about eating meat sacrificed to idols, and he used that to talk to in chapters 8, 9, and 10 about liberty and limiting liberty and all these things. And now we're in chapter 11, and there's new questions that he wants to answer. And we don't have the letter that they wrote him, we only have his response, and so we have to assume what the questions would be like based on the answer he gives. And so I kind of think that this question was simple. I think it was a simple question that they just asked, and it was as simple as this. Brother Paul, can you help us understand submission and head coverings? Are they really important? And if so, why is it important? And so before we read the text this morning, I think there's a few important things that we should remember. You ready for that? First, this is not an issue that should divide a church. Long before I came to Pound River Church, there were women in this church who out of a desire to obey the teaching in this text covered their heads during worship. In fact, I remember, and I don't think she'll mind me telling, I remember, are you saying no, you don't mind? Or no, okay, okay. I remember when... When, I, when they first asked me to pastor this church, I went home um, and I told Shasta, she had went to a different church when I came here to preach that day, and I came home and I said, 
Well, they asked me to pastor that church, and she said, is that the church where they put their, those things on their heads? I said, that's it. That's the one. Uh, and now, based on her own study and her own understanding, she wears her covering when she, when she, when she does, when she prays. Several women in our church still cover, or they've begun covering. And I think we should respect that desire to be obedient to this Scripture. Several women in our church don't cover. Not out of the spirit of rebellion, but because they're not convinced that's what the Scripture teaches. And I think we should respect that too. We can respect both sides. It's not worth dividing over. And what we have to be very clear about, and I want to be very, very clear about, is that head coverings do not determine anyone's salvation or their spirituality. At the same time, I can say all those things and say this as well. We shouldn't ignore this text. Because it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church throughout all ages, which includes us. And so it's not to be ignored. It's not to be skipped over because we think it's irrelevant. There is no irrelevant Scripture. All Scripture is relevant. But we have to approach it with the mindset of respect and love for one another and understanding that we may be in different places in our understanding on this Scripture. And so with those things in mind, let's look at Paul's response that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1-16, through 16, Paul says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is, a shame, if it, if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man and the Lord. For as Woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge amongst yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. 
But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Well, one time Peter talked about Paul, and Peter said this, he said, our beloved brother Paul, who sometimes his writings are hard to understand. I can understand where Peter's coming from. When we read this Scripture, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a whole lot in there. What we have to be careful about this morning, not only those things that we already mentioned, but we've got to be careful this morning too that as believers, that we don't approach this Scripture with our minds made up because we want, what, we want it to say what we want it to say. You understand what I'm saying? That's not a valid way to read Scripture. You should not approach Scripture ever to validate your pre-existing opinion. You should always approach Scripture in a way that it forms your opinion. You don't go to God to tell everybody why you're right. You go to God to find out what is right. We've got to be also aware that as we read this today, that the culture that we live in today and some of the professing Christian community in which we live today, many are opposed to any teaching that clearly defines separate roles for men and women. That's a very, very common thing. It's viewed as prejudice or misogyny. It's viewed as, as something that's wrong. But I assure you this morning, we can read this Scripture and still know and believe with all our heart that our Heavenly Father loves every one of us, men and women. Equally, God places equal value on men and women. They're of equal worth. But He has made them unique. He has made them different with different roles and responsibilities. He's created a design where men and women complement each other in the unique roles that He has given to them. And our culture hates that truth. Hates it. And if you've come to bend to the culture, you're going to hate this sermon. You're going to hate this chapter. You're going to hate lots of books that's in this Bible because they all testify to this same truth. Men and women are equal in value, equal in worth, equally loved by God, but in His sovereign authority, He has given them different roles and responsibilities. And He's determined... I just have to be honest with the text this morning. That's my job. He's determined that all men are to be in submission to God. And that women are to be in submission to their husbands. This doesn't mean that women can't do wonderful things. It doesn't mean that they can't change the world. It doesn't mean that they can't serve God. It doesn't mean any of those things. That's what the world wants you to believe about God. The world wants to tell you that God is somehow trying to oppress you. That we could list off countless women from this, from these pages of this holy book that have done marvelous, wonderful things. And all throughout church history, women who have made huge differences in the kingdom of God in the world around us. Most of our churches would collapse without women. 
But His supreme design was that men would submit to Christ, women would submit to their husbands, just as Christ submitted to God. That is the supreme example that He gives us. It's a picture of how Christ, who was equal with God, equal with God, was willing to submit in humble obedience to the will of God. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2. This is what he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you see it there? Equal with God, but willingly humbling Himself into submission to obedience to God the Father. Was Jesus of less value than God the Father? No, they're not of less value. But he still was willing to submit himself. We have a real hard time in our culture today with this, this word submission. But it's not a bad word. It is the example that Christ left us. When a, when a wife submits to the headship of her husband, it's a picture of Christ being willing, even though equal with God, to submit to God. It's a picture of the church being willing to submit to Christ. When a husband loves his wife and sacrifices for her and provides for her physically and spiritually, it's a picture of how Christ loves the church and provides for the church. Ephesians 5 tells us this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. When we model our marriages and our families in this way, we glorify God. But that's not the message this morning. Before I get too far down that path, look at verse 2 again. This is how Paul begins. He says, I, I praise you, Corinthians, for remembering my teachings and for keeping the traditions that you were taught by me. By the way, these were not ungodly traditions of men. These were not traditions that Paul just made up wherever he went. That word tradition is the same word used in 2 Thessalonians when he says, Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. These, these traditions were divine teachings. They were the traditions of the early church based on divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit and apostolic authority. And when you look in verse 3, you find the foundation for all of this teaching. 
I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. When you just read it, it's hard to get confused by it. It's when you try to figure out how to fit your agenda into it that makes it difficult. Amen? I can see your faces. I can see your eyes even with those masks on. You should not be you should never be mad when somebody reads scripture. Amen? Wait till I give you some of my opinions before you get mad. <laughs> this is the foundation. This is what Paul is saying you need to know. You need to understand this truth. Because he's going to build off of that. It's what we've been talking about already, the structure that God has designed. A structure of submission for all of us. It's not evil. It's not oppressive. It's not sexist. It's the design of God. It's good and it's joyful when it's lived out. Now look in verse 4. We're just working our way through. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Paul ties it together with, with, with just that teaching. A man is to submit to the authority of Christ. And the demonstration of that submission, the way that he shows that submission, is that when praying or prophesying, he uncovers his head. A man's head is to be uncovered when in prayer. This is the sign of submission to Christ. It's simply not appropriate for a man to pray with his head covered. <laughs> How many of you in here are used to seeing when you go to pray, you're used to seeing a man take his head off? That's common. Why do we do that? Where did that come from? This verse of Scripture. This is it. Why is it that we have so little problem with that? And so much problem with the next part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. It's commonplace. Now I will tell you this. It's starting to become a little more trendy nowadays for men to wear their hats in church. I'm not sure the purpose of that. If it's to make them feel a little more edgy or more appealing to the culture. But in my personal belief, that's in contradiction to this Scripture. A man should show his submission to Christ, his reverence for Christ. He honors Christ by uncovering his head when he prays or prophesies. We take our hat off when they play the national anthem. If we can do that, how much more so in the presence of God? And some would say, well, that's legalistic. I want to define legalism for you. That's a term that we can overuse if we're not careful. Legalism is not obeying God's commandments. That's obedience. Legalism is trying to earn God's favor or salvation or blessing by keeping His commandments. We don't want to be legalistic and say, well, I've got to do this if I'm going to be saved. That would be legalism. We take that off and we say, I'm going to do that because I'm going to be obedient. Why? Because I love Christ. 
John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's a simple scripture. So man is to uncover his head according to the scripture. Now look at verses 5 and 6. Here's where something happens. But every woman who prays or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Clearly what we see, what Paul wrote is the opposite is true for the woman. The man is to uncover his head. The woman should cover her head when praying or prophesying. This is in regards to her willing submission to her husband. It's in obedience to that truth that we read in verse 3. It's in submission to the design of God. And Paul says if a woman is not going to cover, she might as well shave her head too. He says if you're going to refuse to cover your head, just go on and rebel and shave your head. But if you think that would be shameful to shave your head bald, Paul says, then recognize that it's shameful to pray uncovered. Now that's what the Scripture says. That's not. I didn't add any opinion to that. I just read you Scripture. This always brings up a great amount of controversy and, and, and I don't think it has to. But people try very hard to make this Scripture seem irrelevant. Can I, can I say to you honestly, one of the things that we're getting better and better at as a society today, we're getting better and better at trying to find loopholes in the teachings we don't like. Sometimes we have to see the real problem. The real problem sometimes, and this is true for me, it's true for you probably. I hope it's not, but, I, but I'd almost say that it is. Is that we just don't like what God's asking of us. One, time, one thing you're going to hear every time this topic gets brought up is that in that culture, there were pagan temple prostitutes. And they had their heads shaved. And they cut their hair. And so it was culturally necessary for women to cover their heads to distinguish themselves from prostitutes. First of all, I'd say this about that. That's not validated in the Scriptures. Secondly, though, I would say it's really not validated historically. By this time in history, the temple, the pagan prostitute system that was taking place in the pagan temples was destroyed. It actually was destroyed 146 years before Christ was born. Corinth was more like Rome than anywhere else. It was progressive. Women had a lot of freedom. They were educated. They spoke in public. They were, they were able to initiate divorce with their husband. That was very different than the rest of the world. So that argument doesn't hold water. That system had been destroyed. That would be like me comparing something that's going on in, in, in our society today and saying and, and quoting something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's different. 
doesn't hold water. You're going to hear others say, well, it was the custom of the time that women were supposed to cover their heads. And Paul was telling them to continue in that cultural custom. Nowhere else in Scripture that I'm aware of are we encouraged to do what the culture is doing around us. So that would be a strange occurrence if that were the case. Most often we're called to separate from the culture, to come out from among the world. So let's take our opinions out of it, mine and yours. Let's take those out of it and let's look at the biblical reasons that Paul gives for this teaching. What is it, Paul? What's the reason Paul gives for the covering and the uncovering for men? Does he say, use your covering to distinguish from prostitutes? Does he say, use your covering to keep the cultural customs of the day? No. He gives three reasons. Verses 7 through 10. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. That's the first reason. Second, for a man is not from woman, but woman from man. Man was not created for the woman, but woman for the man. That's the second reason. Third, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. That's the third. First, he goes back to the principle of headship. And, and let, me, let me read you a quote that I think says it better than what I could figure out how to say it. Paul gives us three reasons the woman's head should be covered. All of which establish another basis for the headship of the man over a woman. In verse 7, Paul claims that it is the man who is to have his head uncovered since he has been divinely ordained and commissioned to reflect the image and glory of God by exercising headship. The woman, on the other hand, is the glory of the man. Her function and high calling is to seek to bring glory to her husband. As it's stated in Proverbs 31. While the man's function and high calling is to seek to bring glory to God. Does this, listen to this, the, the, the writer said, does this seem unfair and unjust to you? And some of you in your hearts are thinking, yes. Does it appear as many maintain to demean women? And some are saying, yes. Perhaps we need to remind ourselves of the Trinity. This is a powerful example for you. The Trinity. All three parts of the Godhead. Three persons. Amen? Amen? God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Amen. All three equal with one another. Amen? Amen? Yet the Scripture declares that the Holy Spirit allows Himself to be subject to the Son. He does what the Son desires. He seeks to glorify the Son and not Himself. Amen? Amen? The Son does nothing of His own initiative, but seeks to bring glory to the Father. Amen. Knowing that truth, 
There's no inequality in the Godhead. The Son and the Spirit, those subordinate in their roles, are equal in value, equal in essence. Their delight is to bring glory to their head. And we are called to imitate them in delighting to bring glory to the one in whom God has determined to be our head. That's hard. But it's the best example I've ever heard. When you think about the Trinity in that way, you understand that it's not... This is not unheard of. It's not that God looks down on women. That would be like saying God the Father looks down on the Son and down on the Holy Spirit because He asked them for submission. It's not that way at all. It's just different roles and responsibilities from people with equal worth and value. That's the first reason why Paul instructs on the head covering. Next, he goes to creation. He reminds us that God created man first and then He created woman for the man. This was the order in which they were created. Remember, God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam and He took the rib from Adam and created Eve. So God goes back to, or Paul goes back here to creation as evidence for headship. And then lastly, he lists out the angels. And you won't be impressed with me on this, but I don't have a full understanding of that. But what is apparent is this. Paul says because angels are ever watching, a woman should have a symbol of authority upon her head that shows her willing submission to her husband. You can take that as a demeaning thing or you can be encouraged by what stood out to me. I thought what a powerful thought to understand that when we pray, angels are ever present. Listening, observing, watching, ready to move at the Father's command. So as we pray to our Father, if He should say, let, let this be done, those angels will move on our behalf. I wouldn't let that offend me. I would let that be an encouragement. But don't be discouraged. All the talk about headship, it's uncomfortable because our society makes it uncomfortable. But Paul also understands that the danger of this kind of teaching, that it could easily cause men to try to over-exercise some ungodly authority that they simply don't have, that they've not been given. Surely the same rolls true men for us as it did for Pilate on that day when Christ said, you have no authority other than what's been given to you. Same is true for us. And so Paul wants to make sure that everyone understands that he's not saying men are better, men are smarter, men are more important. We aren't more spiritual somehow because we're men. What we have to recognize, men, is that headship is not about being superior because we're in no way superior. Headship is about symbolic symbolism. It's a picture of a greater spiritual truth. And being called the head should humble us 
should cause us to love greater, to give honor to our wives as heirs of grace, to be diligent to care for our wives and children and to sacrifice for them the way that Christ sacrificed for the church. That's why Paul writes in verses 11 and 12, Nevertheless, in spite of all that, neither is man independent of woman. He says, We're, you're not going to be able to do anything on your own. Most women can say amen to that. I can't even find a pair of socks on my own. Most of you all can't either. Some of you are a little better than others. Man is not independent of woman, neither is woman independent of the man. For as woman came from man, that first woman came from the rib of Adam, now, ever since, man comes from woman. It's the way God designed it. But all things, all men and women are created by God. Now look in 13 through 15. We're making progress. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. We, there's endless debates in the church today about these scriptures. Endless debates. What is long hair? Well, we don't. It, that would be so difficult to, to determine. What's long to one of us is not long to another. What is short hair? What what is it what does it look like? Right? What is it how, what's the determination? We know, I think, in one place in the scripture, I think it talks about well we know Jesus took the Nazarite vow, so he would not have cut his hair. So we can get all kinds of wrapped up in these things. But I go back to verse 6 because many would say here that this a woman's hair is her covering and I understand why you would interpret it that way. It's not the way I interpret it, but I could be wrong. But I go back to verse 6 and I say if you're I see Paul saying if you're not willing to cover your head you might as well shave your hair off and have no covering at all. And that doesn't add up. It's not about... Listen, none of this is about your hair. This is all about submission to God's design. The uncovered man honors God. And the, un and the covered woman honors her husband and the Lord. Since it's all about submission, in my opinion, my opinion, long hair doesn't distinguish the submitted wife. A covering does. That's my opinion. It does not have to be yours for us to get along and love each other. And for us to worship together. Amen? Now look in, well actually, let's, let's see how Paul ends this answer. Remember, he started by saying he was thankful that they were keeping the traditions, these divine teachings, 
This was the practice of all the churches. Now look in verse 16. He says, If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. He ends with the same authority he began with. He's basically saying that there is no other practice in any other church other than this. This is the tradition of the, all the early church. And there's no need for any contention about it. Now, we went through all the verses and now I want to circle around and bring it back home. I believe it would do well for us to remember Romans 14. In Romans 14, verse 1, listen to what he says. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. This teaching does not need to create disputes or division. Each person has to decide for themselves. We can't decide for one another. Amen? I'm not worried, just so you all know, I'm not worried that this is somehow going to divide our church, but I'm going to re-emphasize to you that there are no doubt probably, and maybe some people that are watching, who they see the covering on, on a lady's head in their church and they think it's a beautiful thing and they're drawn to it, and some watch and see that and think, I'll never go there. That works both ways. Because they feel it's somehow oppressive. Romans 14 verses 4 and 5 reminds us of this important thing. Who are we to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let, here's the key. Let each be fully convinced in their own mind. This is an area where you have to be fully convinced in your own mind. Lastly, he reminds us in Romans 14, verses 10 through 13, why would you judge your brother? Why would you show contempt for your brother? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. It's simple. See, it's so easy for us to allow ourselves to focus on what others are doing or are not doing. When we do, we lose the purpose for what we are doing. See, it'd be easy for someone who does cover to look down on someone who doesn't, but I can assure you that would be displeasing to God. It would be easy for someone who doesn't cover to judge someone who does, but that would be equally displeasing to God. I think the question today is much deeper than do you cover or don't you? I think the real question here is why do you do what you do? If you do cover this morning, if you're in the church and you're someone that does cover, I ask you this morning, why do you cover? Are you covering because you think it's pretty? Are you covering because you like the way it looks? Are you covering to draw attention to yourself? Are you covering so that people will think you're more spiritual? 
Or are you covering with a heart of obedience and a desire to submit to this teaching? What's really in your heart? Listen, I can promise you this. You can wear a head covering all day long, every day of your life, and not be submissive to God or your husband. That head covering don't make you submissive. And if that's the case, if you put that thing on and it's just to show, it's no different than the Pharisees who walked around with the Scriptures on their foreheads all day long. The outside of the cup looks clean, but the inside's still dirty. Amen? But if you do not cover, I would ask you this morning, why it is you don't? If it's fair that I ask those that do why they do, it's fair if I ask those that don't why they don't. Is it because of vanity? Is it because you don't want people to think you look different or foolish? Is it because of pride? Is there something deep down that maybe says, no, I don't want to submit? What is the reason? Have you ever challenged yourself to ask yourself that question? Is it because you maybe have taken the time to really study it out for yourself and you've come to the conclusion it isn't required in spite of these Scriptures? What's really going on in your heart? What causes you to say no? That's the question you have to ask yourself this morning. Why do I do what I do? I would ask the same thing to the men. It's so much more sensitive to the women. But to the men that leave their hats on when they pray, I'd ask yourself, why do you do that? I do find it strange. I'll, I'll say this to, to us as a group. That we are so passionate and that we believe that men should. But we're yet not as passionate and believe women should. That to me is a strange thing. But perhaps you have your reasons. All I mean, all I think God is asking for is the why. Why? Why do you choose to do it the way you do it? Listen, I love you. There's lots of things in this Bible that's hard to understand. There's lots of things that are hard to follow. Amen? We don't always have a perfect understanding. But for me, I look at my job as the pastor is to get up here and to read this text and expound it to you the way it's written as accurately as possible. I can make mistakes. I can misunderstand. And I'm not above reproach or correction. I don't want you to cover because of what I've said today. I don't want you to cover because so-and-so covers. I don't want you to stop covering because so-and-so doesn't cover or because you listened to a message from someone else who said it wasn't necessary. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Each one of you take a serious look at the text, pray and seek God about the issue and be fully convinced in your own mind of what God requires of you. And know this, when you come to worship next Sunday, I'm not going to have the head covering police at the door. If you don't have one on, it's going to be just like it is this Sunday. We're going to love you. If you've got one on, we're going to love you. I rejoice in those who want to be obedient to what they, what they, the way they interpret this Scripture. I rejoice with those who are trying their best to 
keep that commandment from God and I also love and respect those who see it different than I do. I have a clear thought in mind of what I think that should be done. But my thoughts don't have to be yours. You have to be fully convinced in your own mind. Amen? Let's stand to feet. Well, next Sunday we'll be small again. <laughs> I'm going to start... Uh, I was going to say, I'm going to start uh, telling people that when they come, I always preach something that's hard, but when they're not here, I'm preaching all the good stuff. That ain't hard, but maybe that's not true. I'm always preaching something that's hard. I know that. Um, I want you to know you're loved. You're not judged. You're loved. You're cared for. But be diligent in your study of the Scripture and make sure you know what you believe. And if you look at that Scripture and you and you say, I don't, I don't think I need to cover it, then okay. And if you look at that Scripture and you study it and you think I do need to cover it, then okay. It's a choice you have to make. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And one day He'll tell us which way it really was. And if you ask, He's very likely to tell you now. Ask yourself, why do I or why don't I? And let that answer guide you to the next steps. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful and grateful for the day You've given us, God. Thankful for Your Word, God. We don't. We, we confess. We don't always have full understanding. We confess that sometimes we struggle to preach it in a way that's easy to understand. But God, Your Word is living and powerful. And this sharp is a two-edged sword. So whatever purpose You have set out today for that message, God, we trust You'll work that purpose. We submit ourselves to truth, God. We ask God for understanding and wisdom to know what way is right and to walk in the right path. And we thank You for Your love and mercy towards us, God. That when even when we're weak to understand or, or even when we misunderstand, You love us. Help us not to judge one another, but to love one another, to care for one another, and to worship together in unity of spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Members, if you'll stay behind just for a few minutes this morning.